Hello and welcome to the Juan Juan podcast. If you're enjoying the show, consider signing up for the Patreon. There you get ad-free content, early access, exclusive episodes, and monthly supporter hangouts. You can find it at patreon.com slash the Juan on Juan podcast. If you don't like the subscription-based models, there are other ways of supporting the show that are linked in the description. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode. They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart? Available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. Welcome to the One on One podcast with your host. Juan Ayala. of the one-on-one podcast i'm your host as always make sure to follow the show on social media at the one-on-one podcast tjojp.com patreon.com slash the one-on-one podcast all that good stuff wherever you're listening make sure to like comment subscribe leave a five-star review it helps the show out share the show with family and friends All that good stuff. Make sure to get a copy of the homunculus owner's manual, tjojp.com. Everything is on there, done by Paranoid American, Cultus Mundi, comic book, all that stuff. And I am joined today. I want to talk about women in alchemy, something that isn't really covered a lot. And I'm like, if I'm going to talk about women, I might as well have a woman to talk about women in alchemy. So who do I have the pleasure of being joined by today? It's me. I was going to say me, Juan, because it's Juan on <laughs> podcast, but it's Yiska. <laughs> it's Yiska. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm just, I have a lot of stuff here because we've had a lot of time to prepare. So I'm kind of inundated with uh, 
links and documents and PDFs, but I think we'll be able to go through it and pick out some really good tidbits of information for people to take and not just, not just information, but, you know, I, I really want this to become a conversation, not just around women in alchemy, but how women are perceived in the modern world for their advancements historically. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we can get to that. And for those that, cause I don't think we've done an episode on my show, at least I think we've done one on, patreon where can people find you you're an astrologer you do readings if anyone wants to hit you up where can people find you? i actually work? don't do readings anymore i'm really? a full-time student again yeah i'm full-time student now i'm um, oh. getting paid to go to school Woo. um getting paid to study but you can find me on instagram and come hang out and talk to me uh and kind of follow what i'm doing i'm working on a lot of different projects right now i'm just so busy with studying that i'm not putting a lot of things out there but I do love sitting with people and having conversations and especially on anything I'm studying and I am finishing up my double major in anthropology and finance and the historical what to say conversation around women is like a big part of my interests in what I'm doing especially uh when it comes to again just like how we understand women in religion or women even in science since alchemy was a science of its day and still is somewhat it's like a spiritual science how we understand their advancements and their contributions to those fields there's not at the risk of sounding a bit cliche there's not enough conversation around Mm -hmm. the matter (laughs) i know we all hear that all the time but not enough women in stem all this like what about women in alchemy yeah yeah no 100 percent. and women in alchemy actually Uh, they contributed a lot and it's really interesting because one of the first og alchemists which i want to kind of take it in a in a little bit of chronological order we're going to be jumping around a little bit we're not we might dive deeper into one person and then the others but i want to start at the beginning and zosimos actually referred to mary the jewess which was one of the early og alchemists and I came across this while reading Jay Widener and Vincent Bridges, The Mysteries of the Great Cross of Hendai, where they talk about the that Mary phenomenon with Jesus and how there were so many Marys. And then the first ones that found Jesus were the Marys. And it's like, I'm not insinuating that they were practicing any necromancy or anything of that nature, but I'm just saying there's been that sort of look upon women throughout history as well, right? Like they're witches. And I did a, I don't really find the Salem witch trials like all that interesting. And I did an episode not too long ago on familiars where it kind of sort of linked to that phenomenon of the, of the Salem witch trials and all that. Cause it's like if, if, if an old lady in the woods that was alone because, you know, she was a widow and she had a pet frog. Well, that was actually her familiar, her demonic familiar. Therefore they freaking burned her at the stake because she had a pet frog or a pet, whatever, a pet raccoon, whatever you want to call it. So it's like, there's that connection there of like these, demonic animals that are linked right there the witch is familiar and so women have always been like throughout history they've been that stigma of oh they're going to the black mass 
right? Like where do, where do women slip off in the middle of the night to go hang out with their lady friends in the woods? Like we, there's movies on that, isn't there? There's like whole shows on. There probably are. I mean, we probably just go out to like, I don't know, most women that I've seen, at least in the suburbs, what do they do? They go out to like Chili's for mom's night out or something. Hanging out with Baphomet you know, at Chili's. Bottomless mimosas <laughs> like at the brunch. So, so I mean, I mean throughout that, history, is, that is an interesting point, though. Mm-hmm. That's a really I want to stick with that. That's really interesting because there is this, you know, there is there's a lot of pop culture on things like there's that whole book, right, that came out it was called The Red Tent. And it was about, you know, and it, it it's about like a women a place where women went um, during their menstrual cycle, because, you know, like in mm. Ju- Judaism, for instance, it was seen as like unclean and it kind of romanticized this idea. And I mean, you could kind of see it in a way as like women kind of got a couple of days off, which is a whole current conversation around should women be getting time off PTO, like sick days for their menstrual cycle, which a lot of doctors have come out and have said, like, these can be as painful as heart attacks, you know, and they can be, and especially for women who have uh, complications like I do, a lot of like, you know, autoimmune conditions and problems. There are days of the month where I'm just, I'm done. It's not like, oh, it's PMS. You know, it's it's a it's a physical ailment to some extent. It's not always. Um, you know, if you're healthy, some women go through it, just do fine. But um, this it be, it's become romanticized. It's become like pop cultureized with books, and but that idea of like where women are going, and that is the thing that when I was doing this research became really interesting because you said go in chronological order, and I kind of laughed because I wrote down all the names of the women that I could find in alchemy chronologically because I was like I want to get this all together. There was one woman I found, and while doing the research and reading about her. Uh, and I think this was, let me see here, this was during the 1500s, and we'll get into, I'm not even going to bring up her name right now, but during the time, this woman had an interest in alchemy, and she, you know, had the funds to kind of procure some laboratory equipment and whatnot, but during that time in the 1500s, alchemy was not seen as suitable for women to study, uh, because women were too passionate, and they fell into too much excess when studying something, so there was this idea that like women being off on their own without the guidance of a man was almost like letting your children run amok because uh, women to some extent, yeah, they were treated like children. I mean, they were property. They didn't have any rights. And so, I mean, that goes into the whole conversation around women in alchemy. And it, like, again, you know, some people might just take this as, well, let's just talk about, you know, I don't know, what's that buzz moto or something on YouTube, like 10 women in alchemy. <laughs> you know Mm -hmm. like let's talk about this list of people but it brings up a really interesting conversation around the fact that you hear a lot of not a lot i think it's like a loud minority there is the whole like you know red pill alpha male traditionalist western like conversation around well white western men are the ones who like you know brought us all this amazing cultural stuff and women you know they're just not capable of what men are capable of but the, the thing that I found through doing well. this research, <laughs> the thing I found through doing this research is that women are equal to men intellectually. We're not equal physically and, you know, in a lot of different ways, but intellectually we are. And the reason why you don't see as many female names in certain, you know, achievements, you do see some, the reason why you don't see as many is because there was no means of research there was no means of monetary funds there was sometimes you were just barred entry by the society you lived in and the thing with the marys is even interesting you know like mary comes and finds jesus yeshua at the tomb 
and then the, the men come later, but all the women kind of take a back seat. But all the dudes who ran off when he was on the cross, they're like, <laughs> they were all afraid, you know, except for John. Shout out John. You know, he wasn't scared, but uh, well, shout out it's, to Judas, it's really Derek. interesting. But yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just like there's this whole is a very interesting, a very interesting dichotomy there. And I mean, you have to understand, like, you know, if we're talking about the New Testament, this is written, it, it, this is going on in like a Jewish uh, culture where you had to have more female witnesses than male witnesses for the court. Really? Because I guess you know you couldn't trust women as much, and I mean it all comes from a lot, and it's very interesting. It's something like I said, it's been on my mind. I've taken a couple classes, I've written about it. I'm not by any means, you know, like a hyper feminist or anything like that. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah, but I do think that there is a lot to be said that's not being talked about, and if we go back historically and can understand these things in context. We could actually, it's kind of interesting. We can make a lot of changes in our day to day life of how we look at each other and also how women look at men, too. So, this this is a really interesting conversation because it's not just about history, it actually does blend into the the, the topic of now, the present, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to a spiritual uh, path. Because, like you said, Mary, uh, Mary the Jewess, uh, and of course, like Mary is kind of the Jennifer of the Jewish names, <laughs> it's just everybody's <laughs> name is Mary. Um, yeah, she was uh, one of the first people in Panopolis wrote about uh, Zosimus. Sorry, of Panopolis wrote about her. So I think mm-hmm. his book was fourth century AD. And he was. He said she was around. And he was. Uh, Zosimus's work is the oldest literature we have in relation to alchemy. One of the oldest. So he was referencing yeah. her work. So she had to have come before him. Yeah, she, he was saying she's like three centuries earlier. She's okay. first century AD. Wow. So, you know, the height of Rome, uh, the height of Alexandria, all of these yeah. things. And he um, he wrote a book on, I was writing down here, on furnaces and apparatuses. And his book is more than likely believed to be based on a text that Mary herself wrote. Kind of like his, he did a Cliff Notes version of it. Yeah. <laughs> and he wrote about her in his book, uh, The Coloring of Precious Stones as well. But she was one of the first people, as he's referencing her, to see alchemy as a reproduction, almost, that there are certain genders of metals and substances. And when you join those two materials together of different genders, you create something new. So this conception of uh, substances, so to speak. But yeah, she also observed the oxidation process of metals. She uh, was... I don't know if she was the first, but the first recorded as far as he goes of uh, hypothesizing that there could be this process of turning base metals into gold. Uh, She also invented a device that was used to heat substances, collect their vapors, kind of like a distillation device. And a German man modified that design and actually created something called the Soxhell extractor that is still used in chemistry today. So, and she also created, uh, she came up and designed these alembics and, you know, distillation devices. And these are her designs. And it's, it's definitely pretty much like set in stone that this person was real because you have a man writing about this and going, this is from a woman. <laughs> you wouldn't usually see that unless it was legit. Most yeah. men wouldn't do that back then, especially like a woman, what? But yeah, so she was like the OG, essentially. 
I, I don't know. I couldn't really find much on um I mean it was first century AD, so it would be really rare. And I mean, even Zosimus's uh writings are copies of copies, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're maybe the things written by him, the the oldest copy we have is what, written in the fifteen hundreds, sixteen hundreds maybe. So as far as I know, there are no extant writings of hers, but they are so old. And they probably burned up in that fire in the library of Alexandria. I think there so. was fragments. I'll, I'll look for it here. And I wanted to read something because, right, we're talking about Zosimos, who was also a, a Gnostic. They they were hermeticists. And I wanted to read here that there's a, there's a chapter on chapter, I think, three of this book, The Mysteries of the Great Cross of Hendai, the Gnostic Eschatology, the Gnostic Return of Isis, and Mary the Alchemist. And in what is perhaps our earliest alchemical text called Isis the Prophetess, we find a glimpse of an ancient science at the core of the science is something we can recognize as alchemy. So remember, alchemy existed. It wasn't called alchemy until, right, Zosimos came out with it. Like a lot, like it started to develop, right, chem coming from Egypt, right, the, the black sands, et cetera, et cetera which emerged from the intellectual and spiritual ferment of Alexandria in the first three centuries of the modern era. As it developed, it became part of the spiritual tradition of Gnostic as opposed to Orthodox and apostolic Christianity. Hopefully I'm saying that right. And he goes on to say here, because this is something that I've been noticing and something that we'll, we'll get to with Mary and Atwood where she's got an interesting story, but it revolves around light and something that I was just reading here because the supposedly how, how the lure goes. And I've said it before on the podcast is an alchemy. When you achieve the magnum opus, when you are able to transmute and project, right? The base metals into gold, which is a byproduct of this process, the light from that process gets infused in your DNA and changes your DNA, your, your genetic structure. And you become this, what they call a homo luminous light being. And in here it says at, as each soul is redeemed. So according to the Gnostic myth at the creation of the world, the spirit of light was imprisoned by the powers of darkness. This light, the essence of God was trapped in human bodies as separate sparks of light, our souls. Gnostic sects held that the goal of human existence was to travel the path of return, the journey of the individual sparks back to the union with the original light through the process of redemption. So the Gnostics, they believe through Gnosis, which is knowledge, you could transcend the eons and go back, right, and be reunited with the source, the one. They were emanationists, so from the source, radiated outwards reality. So you have the upper eons, which is metaphysical. Then you have the lower eons, which are the more physical mundane world ruled by the Demiurge. So, uh, you know, they want to go back there, which is essentially, right, it's the same thing as regular mainstream Christianity. Pick one of the 44,000 denominations, right? I'm sure that they, they got it all figured out. But essentially, you're a good person, you're able to go to heaven. That, that That's the core of it. You need to believe and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And through that, you will be redeemed and you will be able to move on to this other dimension, essentially, right? So according to the Gnostics, this world and its history are the works of the evil demiurge. This is the false god or the evil one who built this world as a trap for souls or the light. Now, this is where it gets very heretical, very controversial, because when you tell people that the Satan or devil archetype 
built our universe and our world and he is imprisoning us in this false matrix of some sort that can really i mean i got called the satan worshiper this is like the first stuff that i ever got into when i was diving into the esoteric and the occult it was with the gnostics people don't like gnostics i no. don't not like gnostics i do i feel like gnosticism is kind of the antithesis to shamanism which sees the yeah. physical world spirit as a external expression of spirituality i lean more towards that understanding but there is a lot to the the gnostic idea because the gnostic idea you know like you say, it's coming out of apostolic Christianity. But what we see as Christianity Day is not. I mean, it wasn't even called Christianity. It was called mm. the Way. It was very Jewish. It was there. It, it wasn't particularly Jewish because yet later on, people saying they don't have to follow the laws and all that. But what we have is Christianity today is very much based on you know like the Roman pantheon because it came out of yeah. the Roman Catholic Church, which is you know just a replacing of mm -hmm. the roman pantheon and gods gnosticism is really interesting because it it's it a lot of people well it came out of christianity it's like a christian sect but it's not it comes from something older mm -hmm. and there's kind from of the two, yeah and there's two divisions where it kind of goes off you have the the gnostic division and the gnostic division kind of goes into the roman catholic but then the you know the roman catholics they have the uh the council of nicaea i think mm -hmm. with um St. Nicholas there and he ends up punching some Gnostic guy and you know they're all fighting and killing each other and then you have the Essene kind yeah. of sect which is an older Jewish sect they're more that mystical. kind of goes off and yeah and I mean and they're almost completely wiped out by mm -hmm. inquisitions that follow because there wasn't just the Spanish inquisition there were many inquisitions yeah and you know I mean that's why like people are like whoa why, why are there you know there are Jewish people all over there were Jewish people in India that have been there since the first century AD when the Roman Sacred Temple went to Europe went here and there because they were persecuted by the Catholics like they were forced to convert or whatever and so and also the Eastern Orthodox, but with the Gnostic kind of idea, and, and this is interesting what you said about, you know, when you get to the gold, a lot of people misunderstand alchemy as just, they just wanted to turn metal into gold. And that sounds awesome. And I would, I pro personally, I'm kind of just a very simple person. And if I could do that, I would stop there too. <laughs> we don't need spiritual attainment. We just found out how to turn lead into gold. We're good. I'm happy with that. But um, maybe gold prices are down, but you know, when they go back up, but um, it, it, alchemy was not just, I want to turn lead into gold because I want to become rich. It, it really was a spiritual understanding of things. And it was this understanding that nature in itself was like very simple and that nature really consisted of things that it was almost like atomism from the Greeks, but not quite atomism. That nature consisted at its core, everything had a perfect form and structure. And for the ancient alchemists and for the ancient world entirely, and there are so many theories about this. Like some people like, oh, the, um, what do they call them? The Anunnaki, the Sumerians who yeah. like supposedly like aliens who created people or something. They loved gold, right? They're, people loved gold. Gold was this mystical I mean, it still is i mean at the end of the day how much gold you hold is like i like that it rhymed how much gold you hold is like really important for your for your currency for your nation's gdp i mean getting into finance here we don't have a lot china's buying it all up our dollars going down in value i mean it's it has no value at this point but gold was very important even back then gold has a lot of functions it has a lot of functions in 
com- computers, you know, like in a soft in hardware, sorry, not software, has a lot of functions in the scientific realm as well. So this idea of like, why would they want gold? It wasn't just about it being expensive and making you rich. It was really about this is the this is a symbol for something, but also to the effect that people saw gold as having spiritual and physical properties Mm -hmm. that could give you powers. And so if you could find the key, because the idea was that within base things, they had like a seed of the truth of it. And it's very platonic, you know, like Platonism is the idea that uh, what makes a chair isn't that it's made out of wood and it has a shape. It's the fact that you see it as a chair. So a stump could become a chair. It's this philosophy, well, actually it's more Aristotelian, but it's this the the philosophy of, of it. Yeah. yeah, that you put that form onto it and gold is, it's almost like a thing in of itself. It is the seed of everything that is holy and I guess from a Gnostic point of view would be the little bit of divinity that's left in that disgusting physical thing. <laughs> you know? yeah. that, that There was a little bit of divinity left and if you could just pull it out you could turn that metal into gold because everything had it just like you said if you could get that divine essence and if you could find out how to get that out of a piece of lead or do it with some kind of other metal then surely you could do it from human self as well that there was some kind of inner yeah, they, animation they believed that everything consisted of like this this prima materia so therefore if everything yeah, consists that's of that, the you, word latin <laughs> you can break it back down to that and then you can reform it into something else therefore you could take base metals and you know they believe that it would, they were at different stages of evolution throughout their life and they could just project it to right gold and so uh, they continue here with the right this is a false world demiurge as each soul is redeemed it travels back to the source of divine light which slowly as more and more souls return to it become whole again eventually when all souls have returned the physical universe being now completely without light will end and that's very alchemical because it's about right ending one dimension destroying one dimension as you're getting out of it and building another dimension that's a whole different thing though but so uh, well and given modern biology and understanding of the light emitting and information carrying ability of dna and such a system's implication for the kind of holographic reality described by the gnostics such an eschatology of light gains a new and more scientific meaning in this sense we can think of dna as the small fragments of the hologram containing the information of the whole but constrained by matter which it must animate in order to return to the great light therefore this eschatology of light synthesized from egyptian persian and hebrew elements can be seen as the framework supporting a variety of gnostic traditions these traditions included the new messianic form of judaism that became christianity indeed the gnostic sects quite naturally believe that they possess the true meaning of christ's teaching Most of them did not believe in a literal Jesus born of flesh and blood that suffered and died. To the Gnostics, Jesus was a divine messenger, an angelic being disguised as a man. And again, that's very heretical as well. He was sent to... To re- you. Yeah, he was sent not invited to-, to the church barbecue anymore. We're going to yeah, we're going to have a couple angry comments, but that's fine. So again, for the sake of conversation, hear me out. He was sent to reveal the secret knowledge of the path of return, the way out of this world of darkness. In this view, Christ's return will not be physical, but spiritual. The resurrection becomes a metaphor for the experience of a spiritual triumph over death and therefore available to everyone. The Gnostic in- instance instance 
on a direct experience of salvation, a personal return to the light, contracted, contracted, ooh, con, contrasted sharply with the emerging orthodox position, position that held the only that only the apostles to whom Jesus appeared after the resurrection could hold and transmute transmit spiritual authority so this is where it gets interesting because this is where the marys start to come in the gnostics raised the ante so to speak by adopting mary magdalene as a kind of super apostle in the gnostics view mary magdalene the sister of martha martha and lazarus was jesus wife she was also the first witness of the resurrection the gnostics also thought that of mary magdalene as a source of the secret mysteries Many of the Gnostic sects held that Mary, mother, wife, and sister of God, man, was simply Isis, the queen of heaven. In the mystery of the cathedrals, Falconelli draws our attention to this point where, when he informs us in no uncertain terms that the black Madonnas in the crypts of the great Gothic cathedrals are representations of the goddess Isis, etc., etc. So then it gets here. We have... So essentially, they thought that Mary Magdalene had taught Jesus the secrets of the mystery schools, this particular Mary. So that she was kind of an incarnation or a, uh, what's with the word? Well, she was initiated harb- into the mystery. Well, harbinger of the Sophia, the wisdom is kind of how they saw her. The, the so- Sophia of wisdom. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the word for that, I think the, the, the term for it in at least, you know, the Catholic catechism, the, the, the official heretical word for it is called a do- docetism which means that people who believed that Jesus didn't have a physical body. Oh, yes, yes. That's, that's what it's, the, the heresy that it's called. God forbid you believe that, um, you'll burn at the stake. <laughs> or get punched by St. Nicholas, because he yeah. punched a dude for, I think, for saying that. <laughs> or something else. Um, which is hilarious. I mean, that whole situation. But it, it's it's interesting to me that it, it seems like in the Gnostic tradition, I could be wrong, because I haven't done a lot of study on the Gnostics, that they didn't I don't know what their view on like gender was, what their view on women was specifically, but they they were one of the one of the groups to have either according to depending on who you talk to, they either forged what's the gospel of Mary Magdalene or, or the the uh, I don't remember the name of exactly, but what was written by her apparent supposedly, they either forged it or they protected it and saved it mm-hmm. and passed it down. So it just depends on who you talk to historically. There's a lot of was this really written by her? Did the Gnostics make this up? But they seem to be the only ones who are really going, no, like she legit had some things to say. And that's yeah. always really interesting to me coming out of the Roman Empire, which was, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is that they kind of went forward and then back. But Christianity actually brought a lot of good changes to the Roman Empire in terms of women's standing that uh, women were getting more rights to their children and the right not to be, you know, murdered by their husband legally. <laughs> you know? And it uh, that's the reason why a lot of Romans didn't like Christianity. But also in Rome, you didn't have faith in the gods. You just knew they existed. And they their approval of you was very important for your conquest. And, you know, the Romans, they were all about conquering other places and being successful in that especially britannia so the biggest reason for the romans not liking christianity was that they're like if we offend the gods we are screwed Uh, we will not be able to conquer anything else and so you know we have to pay them homage but it is interesting that the gnostics did you know i didn't even think about that they did have these books that they said you know these are the teachings of mary magdalene and 
she was, you know, connected to Christ in like a really deep way and that she had a lot of things to say and she brought those mysteries forward, which is so strange for the time period. Uh, just anybody saying that um, was just very weird because it wasn't going on. Now, if you go back a couple thousand years to uh, ancient Egypt, women had a lot of rights in ancient Egypt and women had the right to property. I mean, it was kind of like the rights that women have today pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't have a lot of their, we don't have a lot of philosophy from them. And a lot of people say the ancient Egyptians didn't do philosophy. I think that's not true because most philosophers, proto-philosophers, even proto-Socratic people will say everything I've learned, I learned from ancient Egypt. I think the Egyptians just, they, that's a whole other situation, but they were just like so inundated with what they believe that I think that they just thought that writing it down would kind of be sacrilegious <laughs> to do so. And so they just wrote down their magical formulas. But I mean, a lot of these ideas are coming from ancient Egypt. So this idea of like Isis, you know, do I think that the man Yeshua uh, existed? Do I think that he was a historical figure? Yeah, I think there's enough. In, I, th- I don't believe the whole like Constantine made him up thing. I think there is definitely enough historical um, information and and at, to show us that he existed. So if anybody believes Socrates existed, yeah. then you kind of have to assume that Jesus existed because I mean, there's so much, so much historically backing him up. Um, but as far as what he was or who he was or what he came here to say, that's a matter of people having to make their own decisions based on, you know, what they read historically or what they believe faith wise. But I think that at the end of the day, every essence of spirituality goes back to some fundamental truth and so there's definitely always going to be a hint of what you see in egypt which is kind of the seat of mysticism and the seat of religion really for us Um, now some people say the egyptians said they got their understanding from an even older civilization so if you want to go more mainstream and say egypt and samaria were the first real civilizations you could do that or you could say they got it from somewhere else but in the modern world today that we live in most of what we get mystically and spiritually, unless you're looking into shamanism, animism, and those things, is coming from ancient Egypt. And it's it's really informed by those myths, which myths are myths aren't religion and they're not philosophy. They're like a blending of the two. Myths are stories that teach us something. And it's not that they're necessarily true, but it's not that they're necessarily false either. They have like a deeper truth to them. And so I've always, I love ancient Egypt. I love studying it. I love studying the mysticism of it because it's, it's like, I don't know. There's something about humans are just so drawn to it. I think it's because there is a lot fundamentally there within ancient Egypt that comes out. So seeing like Isis and Mary and Christ and, you know, all these things, like some people take it too far, I think. And they're like, well, Jesus never existed. It's just this made up story. And I'm like, Nobody knows if Isis existed either, dude, you know, <laughs> like, but there is always a hint of that because we're talking about spirituality here. We're talking about mysticism. Yeah. Of course, it's going to sound something like the mysticism that all of our society is based on. I mean, Rome, Greece, they came out of Egypt. So, so it's here- really interesting that they had that belief. I didn't know what that that far back (laughs) here it says as with the mysteries of isis early christianity and alchemy were dominated by women the most important of the early female alchemists was cleopatra author of the text chrysophia christo 
chrysopia i think that's how you say it, or gold making and this is yeah, chrysopia yeah chrysopia so or gold making and this work collected with the isis the prophetess story in the 11th century codex marcianus we find the earliest image of the ouroboros so this is the earliest image of the ouroboros so the serpent biting its own tail this symbol of the cosmic cycle is half black and white and encloses a greek phrase that says the sum of all philosophy so according to history if you want to believe it cleopatra the alchemist not cleopatra the 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 what was she a queen or something like that the the ruler a pharaoh pharaoh she yeah. was a pharaoh but so greek greek egyptian so <laughs> cleopatra she was the first to come up with this ouroboros which is i mean can be seen throughout a lot of religions and it's especially dominant in in alchemy and these were also some of the other drawings in that Chris, yeah, those are the lit. That's the one. There's her lit. The uh, I don't know what you call them, lithographs or you know carvings that they had and drawings of hers. And nobody's quite sure what they mean. Um, that's kind of the beauty of it. Nobody, you know. I mean, there's always going to be disagreement in the academic field about what it mean. Um, but it's if you get it like deeper into alchemy and into symbolism, especially like sacred geometry, you're like, oh she was onto something here this is really interesting and this is just what survived so imagine what existed that we don't have access to anymore that's what blows my mind whenever you find these amazing books or these amazing carvings or these you know things that's just what survived mm-hmm. there was probably hundreds more that we don't have and i don't we don't know if we'll ever have them and so we just have this little snippet of something and it's already so you could almost spend, I mean, well, definitely no historians who do spend a lifetime just studying, you know, two of them maybe and write tons of articles that nobody ever reads except to cite them in their book <laughs> pretty much. But I mean, this is the the depth of it. And this is just one, one female alchemist. So there's just one. They do. They have an interpretation of what this could possibly mean, which is an interesting interpretation. So indeed, given what we know of the importance of DNA and this theology of light and light, keep in mind, light is what I think is at the core of a lot of these like occult. Uh, the the esoteric of the esoteric i think it revolves around light and we'll get to that in a little bit right because you have the illuminati right los alumbrados so you have all these this thing that's related to light to achieving this sort of light now if it's metaphysical or physical we don't know but so in this theology of light the serpent biting its own tail is a powerful metaphor a symbolic image of dna that according to the anthropologist Jeremy Narby is produced by the forest television flow of images coming from the DNA itself on the same manuscript page in the codex Marcianus Marcianus under a serpent like crescent moon we find it's fine here uh, the we find a line of eight rayed stars this image of the star is similar to the Gnostic Ogdoad a grouping of the celestial forces the Egyptian netters in an 18-fold pattern reminiscent of both the Ogdoad of Hermopolis, the city of the god Thoth or Tehuti, and the Gnostic system of Basilides and Valentinus. The eight-rayed star would also become a special symbol of Mary, the mother of Jesus. To the Pythagoreans, it symbolized the regeneration of the cosmos, being as Erathosthenes. 
I can't even say that that name. Era. It's all Greek to me. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Uh, Declared that the double polarity of the elements producing a stability. The 17th century alchemist Basil Valentine uh, claimed that the eight-rayed star symbolized the philosophical America and the completion of the first stage of the great work. And it's interesting because you have Basil Valentine who talked about... Never mind, I'm I'm thinking about the wrong alchemist. uh, Nicholas Flamel talked about how his wife actually learned how to do the the projection the the great work as well and that she could do it just as well as he could right so you have again this and another involvement of women in the alchemical work with nicholas flamel being one of the more notable alchemists because he was allegedly funded numerous hospitals and and philanthropy and like gave back to the community from this alchemical secret that they had supposedly figured out him and his wife both were in it together so i think what i'm thinking is maybe the woman is needed in this alchemical working right like a and and not even if it's not a woman at least a feminine side of right so you have the sun and the moon and then from the from the union of the sun and the moon you get that child Right, the either the whatever the homunculus or whatever you want to call well, it. And the, women have you know womb, so there is that. The, I mean, to alchemists already, that's yes. just like. And I mean, of course, like a lot of people in the historical world, I think it was a lot of the Greeks thought that women just held a baby and that the yeah. baby came from the man. They didn't know about eggs. <laughs> Actually, you know, yeah. you really need a woman for a lot of it. But a lot of people, like you were talking about the DNA, and, and even when you went to the Gnostics, and I kind of I missed this point, but. It was talking about holographic, and it's interesting because this kind of looks like a DNA strand, like it's like like turning yeah. around on itself. It's kind of, I mean, well, I mean, the the ancient Egyptians knew about atoms. They knew that matter was composed of small particles that vibrated, that moved. They didn't have any, as far as we know, they didn't have any tools or apparatuses to detect this, but they came up with that idea philosophically to the point where it became kind of common knowledge. And people said, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what's interesting is that when you look back at a lot of these myths and these writings, and I'm not going to say myths, but really philosophical writings is what they are. People call them myths, but they're really a, a type of philosophy, not, you know, your contemporary western philosophy you know but they're a type of philosophy is that in a type of science just not how we understand it today they were already getting to the point of they they understood that uh, they understood atom atomism a lot of them seem to have understood the structure of dna which is just mind-blowing if they didn't have apparatuses to see it how they figured that out well i guess if you can it's a part of your body so you can go into like your consciousness deep enough maybe you can detect that stuff somehow but also that this holographic universe idea. And this is not simulation theory. This is not Elon <laughs> Musk. We live in a video game played by some god alien. Holographic theory is very platonic in forms. But it is the one of the best theories to explain at this point from the information that we have so far. How our universe and our world and our realm that we live in is composed. Is that there is everything you see here around you. And you know my half and half tea from Maccas, <laughs> my vape and all this is just a projection of something deeper than it. It's just a projection like a holograph. It's an it's emanation a of the of light, source. Yeah. An emanation of the source, exactly. And we're understanding that that literally is what we live in. 
And these people figured that out thousands of years ago. And then we lost it. Now we kind of came back and got it. But the way that we rediscovered this information was a very different way. We re quote unquote rediscovered it through what we would call modern, the scientific method now, which is, which is very much in a way it is really. And I mean, isn't that like Asimov said, you wouldn't know the difference between magic and like really advanced technologies, but it really isn't even magic though. It's just a, it's, it's materialist reductionism. It is, it is everything is a machine and it can be understood by ripping it apart. And there was a way we could have went historically. We went to that materialist reductionist. We went to that kind of uh, Newtonian way. Mm-hmm. But if you go back in history, <laughs> oh yeah, big into it. I think actually like later on his writings were like kind of like my physics work sucks in in relation to this alchemy work I'm doing that's way more important and way more insightful. Yo, check this transmutation but then like, <laughs> Yeah, but people are like, oh, he's crazy. Now don't listen to him. Yeah, but when he discovered gravity, I guess we all flew before. You know? Check out my new like homunculus. Too bad Isaac Newton discovered gravity. I'd be flying right now if he didn't. <laughs> but um, it, the thing is, it's like there was Goethe who was writing, who had a theory of, not contemporary, but he had a theory of colors. And Goethe was... um you know, the Faust. And he had mm-hmm. this theory of colors that kind of went aside Newton's ideas. And it's two pre- theories. They're, they're both as they're both sound. It just mm-hmm. depends on which one makes most sense to you. But we don't teach Goethe because we went the Newtonian way with, you know, because Goethe was writing about making homunculus and doing uh, making deals with the devil, too. Was, yeah. Yeah. Faust, for sure. <laughs> but he there's something called Goethean science, which is this under we really? can understand the physical world without having to pick the flower and dissect it we can understand it by sitting with you know instead of dissecting a frog go to where a frog lives see what it in its natural heck? habitat understand how the frog is without having to deconstruct it which is something that like like the typical which is you- modern science which yeah. is like the typical youtube commenter like they want to dissect everything that you said or whatever yeah. you know like they want us like no Pretty i much. can understand how to use a toilet. I I can use a toilet now. I'm not a plumber, right? That's the more esoteric <laughs> occult side of it. It's like the plumber went and was initiated in the secret mystery schools of plumbery to learn to be able to pick apart and dissect that toilet and be able to break it down into its primo it material. It really is a cult. Okay, we put a, we put a sink <laughs> in and it took us three months to get that shit right. So it really is a cult, man. I'm telling you, I hats off to plumbers because like yeah. i know some millionaire plumbers i know some millionaire plumbers like for real like i'm like why am i getting into finance i should just do a, a, plumber, be a, elect- a plumber electrician which is kind of pretty pretty much up there that's interesting though i never that's I, like the magist right there if you're a plumber and electrician you've ascended to the yeah realm. yeah you become the <laughs> and an hvac specialist yeah. he is the trifecta of, of of all understanding but that's the interesting thing is that they understood a lot about how the world is under is working the, the thing is it's just it's just how we get information like right now you have what's the big thing Neuralink, right which it's it's either one of two either elon musk really wants to control us all by putting chips in our brains and like we can like oh i can play Fortnite in my brain or it's just a gimmick like his electric vehicle yeah. that's self-driving that didn't exist and that's why the fcc is or i figured like trade commission suing him because it's false advertisement to tell people that they'll get a fully self-driving car advertisement that isn't fully self-driving 
Advertisement, advertise. This is the more uh, British way of saying it. <laughs> it's like the way I spell color. C O L U O R, and I also say aluminium foil. So oh. I, I grew up with a really, I grew up in a strange family. It's a fine. I was, I was saying Goethe, Goeth, and people were making fun of me. I was getting emails about you it. Shouldn't. Like, well, aluminium not... <laughs> foil is legit. There are millions of people that pronounce it that way, and you know, but a- I grew alchemy. up in a alchemy. That's what I'm going to call it. Alchemy. <laughs> alchemy so but um no it's this idea of of it's it's a very i don't want to say masculine because i don't like to pit the genders and the sexes against each other but it is to some extent a very like masculine kind of like deconstructionist like reductionist like let's tear it apart like little kids little boys i don't know if you have boys right like let's tear their toys apart kind of thing and the feminine is more i have two girls and a boy so i'm like you know but like the feminine is more let's understand it Yeah, yeah yeah And I don't want to put that exactly on people. Some people have more, you know, they're more feminine men. That's fine. But it, it is this, it is this understanding. So alchemy is going back and saying, no, 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 no. Like, oh, now I don't know. You could, you could explain this to me. Did alchemists believe that in a piece of lead, for instance, it had feminine and masculine properties or were certain metals gendered? Like lead is male. This is female. How did they do that exactly? Yeah, so, did they so- have it? So, and that's why astrology plays a role in alchemy because each metal had its gender, you know, some was more mask and and this is depicted. So silver moon is the feminine, right? Gold soul uh, sun is the masculine. So you have these two, you you do have uh, the, the gendering, I guess, if you want to call it of, of these metals and they would also align it to certain astrological alignments. So you were to do this work during a a waxing moon or whatever it was. So it's like you have a whole bunch of different forces at work. And this is where all these alchemical plates come into work, where you have paintings of, right, the sun and the moon. The sun is a man. The moon is a woman, right? The mercury is mercury. You have other depictions of a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of different depictions, but you get my point. There is absolutely they do give the the masculine and feminine which is important and uh to, to there were no transgender metals yeah the hermit well so the there divine aphrodite they call yeah yeah the divine androgen which is like the one of the magnum opi i guess and one of the what you what you strive for too as well and you have the hermaphrodite so that is also part of the alchemical workings um let me finish up here this merry thing because it's it, it gets i'm almost here to the end but this is really interesting here because so Again, for the sake of conversation, I'm not, I believe in Jesus Christ. I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, uh, you know, and I've, I was saved a very long time ago. I'm just a scholar and I study these things. Like, I have to say that or else I'll get emails and comments about how this is blasphemous. I understand it's blasphemous, but the New Testament is filled with Marys, which cause considerable confusion. There is Mary, Jesus' mother, and Mary and Mary, sister of Martha and Lazarus, and the first witness of the resurrection, and Mary Magdalene, the woman at the well, and so on. Some of these Marys may in fact be the same person. As in the case of Mary of Bethany and Mary Magdalene, the Gnostics avoided the confusion by focusing on Mary Magdalene as the wife and closest confidant of Jesus. Now, this is what you were saying earlier about the Nag Hammadi. According to the Gospel of Mary, one of the Nag Hammadi texts discovered in 1947, Jesus taught her secrets that he failed, taught her secrets that he failed to reveal to his apostles. Interestingly enough, several Gnostic sects, such as the Ophites, which also, 
Uh, so the Ulfites held that Mary Magdalene and the noted first century alchemical author known as Mary the Jewess were one and the same individual. And this is interesting because the Ulfites also, I believe it's the Ulfites, believe that there was like 50, more than 50 Gnostic sects, by the way. The Ulfites believe that the serpent, they worship the serpent. So that's how you get the serpent on the cross sometimes in like Freemasonry. So they worship the serpent and they thought that the serpent was actually the holder of wisdom, the bringer of light, et cetera, et cetera, be as wise as serpents. So there's that interesting aspect of it. I've talked about that before. And uh, so whoever she was, Mary the Jewess was an accomplished practical alchemist and the inventor of a series of technical devices still in use today. So because of this, Mary the Jewess, we have distillation. So we essentially we have beer and all these different things because of this allegedly uh, Mary Whiskey. the Whiskey, yes, exactly. And essential oils. Yes. Essential oils. Although we know that the, the the ancient Egyptians had oils. I don't know if they were essential oils, but what we understand is essential oils yeah. today is distillation process for sure. So we have these devices still in use today, such as the the hot ash box for steady heat, the dung box for prolonged heat, and the double boiler, which the French still call a bain-marie. None of her writings have survived, but Zosimos and other early compilers of alchemical texts quote her with the utmost respect. Zosimos considered her to be Miriam, the sister of Moses, which Moses allegedly was one of the greatest alchemists of all time. He was, of course, as always going for the most ancient tradition. It seems strange at first to think of Mary Magdalene as one of the founders of alchemy. Orthodox Christianity eventually became the only, the only Christianity, obscuring much of the truth about flowering about the flowering of competing strains of Christianity in the first century. Chosenone.com Go visit Chosenone.com It's easy to remember If you just sing along Chosenone.com Go visit Chosenone.com The Chosen One Yes, he is the Chosen One He's got his own comic And now he's got his own song Cause he's the chosen one Yes, he is the chosen one Go buy a copy at Chosenone.com Chosenone.com Go visit Chosenone.com It's easy to remember If you just sing along Chosenone.com Go visit Chosenone.com behind the effluence however etc etc so maybe this is why they've occulted right the feminine aspect in the trinity right so because a lot of people say that the holy spirit is feminine in nature so you have the father the son and the holy spirit the gnostics believed it was the mother father and the christos the 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 son right the child so maybe this was done on purpose to occult this again just thinking outside the box i'm not saying it's the truth but it's interesting nonetheless to talk about because Again, it, it, this is history. This is an actual thing. And this even gets into like the Da Vinci Code where Mary Magdalene and Jesus had children. And you have the whole Merovingian mythos and all that lineage, right? The Holy Grail and all that. That stems from the, these Gnostic ideas. So very, very interesting. And I wanted to move on. So we have Mary the Jewess. We have Cleopatra. And I want to jump to, so let's jump to, who, who do you have in between there? Because I we can jump to Sforza if you want. In between them, I have Hy Hypatia, oh, Hypatia of Alexandria. So Hypatia, the, 
female polymath genius, literal genius. Um, a lot of she actually uh, invented the hydrometer, and uh, she was interested in alchemy. She wasn't what you would consider. An, I would, you might not consider historically an alchemist. She was doing she, experiments. Uh, yes, and she did uh, correspond with Synesius, uh, Synesius of Cyrene, the bishop who was an alchemical author, uh, on a work of alchemy. Uh, commentary on pseudo Democritus and he his alchemical writings on dyeing of metals, stones, and wool from ancient Greece. So she did uh, correspond with him on a commentary, like her ideas, and had some things to say. So she was definitely, I mean, we don't like I said, it's just what we have existing of her writing, right? It's so old. I mean, talking about three hundred to four hundred A.D., we don't have that much <laughs> so she probably did write a lot of alchemical things that we just don't have access to but as far as we know she was corresponding with Synesius of Cyrene who was a Greek bishop and an al- alchemical author and that's like he's like a whole other thing so and she was corresponding with him she was there writing with him giving him ideas supposedly she constructed astrolabes too according to the wicked idea and now that now I remember, she's the one that got tore apart and cut into pieces. Yes, by uh, or by like Roman Christians, you know. Yikes. I don't think the word was Christian at the way at the time, but um, uh, it was. Uh, I think it, it wasn't. It wasn't religious. It was more political. It was just let's use religion as an excuse. Let's say she's a witch or whatever as an excuse, but really it was a political thing. They just didn't want her around. She had too many ideas. Um, a woman thinking, burn her and tear her apart and kill her and cut quarter her, you know, pretty much is what it, it, it was a political thing. And a lot of, a lot of things that we'd see as like religious persecution were really just political battles, uh, just under the guise of religious ze- zealousness or zealotry. And that was kind of the excuse used for it. You know, oh, we were well, so it, kind of, it kind of plays into what we were talking about earlier that women were looked as sort of pagan because according to the legend, she was at a former pagan temple too. She was dragged out of, and then they really yeah. did a, a, a they really did a number on her. They, you can read the mm-hmm. the gory bits on the. It was the uh, it was the changing of the guard. You had the old Roman paganism, the Platonic Plat. Platonism that she was kind of a part of mm-hmm. and then you had the neoplatonist too and which is you know more onward but and then you had the changing of the guard with constantine of you know again this is 300 to 400 ad you have more of the what you would call christianity today more of the roman catholic church or well before it's split into roman and byzantine uh coming into power and they didn't want this and she was very intelligent and she did have a lot to say politically as well and people listened to her because they liked her so she, she was, was kind a bad of a, bitch yeah pretty <laughs> <It's> much <Britney laughs> <bitch>. pretty much <laughs> pretty much <laughs> so they got rid of her um but how how religious it was i i don't know how it was i think it was more political yeah it says here it was it was, power. it was more politically driven than anything so it says here the yeah. presence hypatia's murder as entirely politically motivated it makes no mention of any role that hypatia's paganism might have played in her death but yeah i did i did read about this and i i remember this one in particular because she was like chopped up into pieces and and that's what they did back then when they didn't like you politically instead of making a bad ad about you they just uh chopped up into pieces like the what is it uh braveheart guy (laughs) william wallace freedom (laughs) 
that's what you did. You know, you, you had to make a statement back then. Yeah, yeah. If you go against us, we won't just chop off your head. We'll we'll draw and quarter you, which nice. is horrible. Quality. You know, so. What do you have? People are like, I want to go back to the old days. I'm like, I don't want to go back to the old days. I'm, I'm okay in today. It's cool. I'm chill yeah. with it. <laughs> do you have anybody else after our... Then I have Sephorza. Sephorza, late 1400s to 1500s. Katarina Sephorza, who was uh, married to Giovanni de Medici. I don't know. I don't know how people ever want to pronounce Medici, Medici. Yeah, or, you know, Medici's Italian. fine. I'm not good at it. Don't even get me to the French names later on because I'll butcher them. <laughs> I talk good. So yeah, the, but she's a whole thing. There's I don't know if there are documentaries on her, but it, her alchemical work. But then like her whole political life was just interesting to me. Yes, like, and there's that famous that famous quote by her where they're threatening her children. She goes, "That's fine, you can kill them. I'll make some more." Like so, she was like very. Again, she was at the forefront of not only right the Medici's, but the Sforza family is an interesting one too because i did something on this a little while ago where the sforza family they're actually they were the ones that they funded the first or how do i not funded but they i they're definitely patrons of the arts and the sciences uh, in the i forget, I forget what what term to use but anyways they they had made the first tarot deck the, so the oldest yeah. tarot deck is attributed to the sforza family and their family members are, they are, they have been immortalized in the tarot deck, right? So, and, and there's a conspiracy because the devil card is missing. So they said the devil card is missing because either it could have been taken and worshipped as some sort of relic, or they took it out because it was, right, they didn't want the, the bad luck or something about it. So there's like a conspiracy behind where the devil card went. So if you buy a copy of the deck, you're buying a copy with a substituted card for the devil. So they, they, they had to come up with a devil card. So that's very interesting. I, I did a whole thing on that and how that is linked to Milan, right? And the whole serpent either birthing the man from the mouth or swallowing the man and how that's linked to CERN. I linked all that to CERN and Crowley. So there's like a whole, because the Visconti and everybody's mixed in there as well. So, again, very interesting connection. I believe it was Visconti and Forza. Visconti's Forza tarot deck. Yeah, so Visconti's Forza tarot deck. Uh, Morgan created by Bonifacio Bembo for the Visconti Forza family. Let me pull this up here real quick. We just talk about how fancy those names sound for real. Like, Visconti. <laughs> yeah. Let me pull this up here real quick. So it's one of the oldest surviving tarot Visconti, cards. Sorry, not biscotti. I was thinking about biscuits. I was getting hungry. <laughs> <laughs> also, this is so. This is the original because I don't know a lot about the tarot. Uh, I mean, I know a bit, like, but not like, too much history of it. But that's so interesting. I wonder who. So they don't what have family member. This they was. No, they have no photographic. Uh, kind of evidence of it existing or that there is a written record that it existed but it's missing is what you're saying well so if if you're if you're to follow that right it is a tarot deck you would think it would have the devil i mean that's one of the one of the the cards that would be in there anyways and there's no it's missing either again they stole of course it's at yale 
Yale University has all the. I was cool going to say it's at Yale. Of course, it's. Uh, I was going to say I think I know where the devil card is. It's probably in some really uh, in a rich somewhere. dude's private collection. <laughs> some rich guy's <laughs> private collection, maybe. You know, he's holding on to it. Yeah, that's where all the Picassos are. Like, where, they're not in the museum; they're in somebody's private collection. But yeah, now it's at Yale, so that's a whole other situation. So Everything's the, at Yale, though. So you have all right the Duke of Milan. Look at their their crescent there, the the red man. That's what's on the Alpha Romero or Romeo, however you say. Because I get emails about that too. The Alpha Romero uh, logo is is part of this because they were from Milan. So. Again, this is they're tied into a lot of things. And uh, Katarina Sforza, she was one of the first women to come up with with recipes to right for skincare. There was a, for fertility, for what else is where there was makeup. There was a whole bunch of different things, and she was really at the forefront of that movement. So essentially, yeah, that's she her was... her manuscript, Glee mm. Experimenti. Yes. Glee Experimenti, I can't pronounce Italian, but 454 recipes, cosmetic, medicinal, alchemical. So there were some, al- there are some alchemical uh, recipes. And I don't know if there are, I couldn't find a copy of it. I don't know if we have an extant copy or if it's just like a writing about, she wrote this book. There probably is an extant copy, but I didn't get around to so finding that one. According to the lore, it was, I think it was copied after the fact by one of her followers i think it was from her handwritten manuscript so it was supposedly copied from a handwritten manuscript that was that belonged to her again that's just so we do have a we do actually have yeah i'm looking here we do have a translation of it yes um so there is a copy of it that's some books you know i actually did a whole study on this in one of my um honors writing classes recently and it was a study on the books that we have that are written about like this guy wrote a book and it was about this like a really small review but then we don't have the book anymore the book's gone and we don't know if we'll ever have it so sometimes there are these books it's like oh this person wrote a book we don't have the book though and it's like what was in that book it makes you wonder you know but there i have to find this i don't think i could i think i couldn't find a pdf of it and i didn't want to buy it (laughs) yet but i will buy it because i spend way too much money on books but i do have a book called um and maybe i'll run into my uh bookshelf in a moment and get it a book called the ladies handbook it's from the 1800s these are really big deals like it's got all kinds of recipes for cosmetics how to make yourself look prettier um there's some interesting recipes in it one is like how to get rid of bed bugs in your bed and it's a sprinkle quicksilver or mercury on your bed and then sleep on it (laughs) i don't think i'll do that but um it's what people you know were doing at the time but it did say there were alchemical recipes in there so there were cosmetic medicinal but then alchemical and that kind of got me interested like well what do you mean by alchemical recipes what, so what are we talking about? i have some here to make the hair grow to make the hair blonde like gold to make the hair blonde and like gold to make hair drop out and never come back to make the face white beautiful and colorful water to make the face white beautiful shining and colorful against redness of the face caused by the sun and cracking to bronze skin to make beautiful water to make beautiful to make the hands white and beautiful like ivory to make the hands and face white to make the breast small and firm i don't know how you would do that rouge very light and most excellent to make the teeth white and shiny to make the teeth clear shiny and beautiful to have fragrant breath (laughs) to make pleasant the odor of the mouth and breast so like mouthwash 
celestial water which makes a person younger and turns the dead into living okay that went zero to 100 real quick like here's necromancy i need some of that stuff right there <laughs> <laughs> i need some of that stuff there because i some mornings i wake up and i could take some of that celestial water yeah yeah, yeah and i just don't see it. anything like what was in it is what's interesting because you know i have a couple old books that i got and they're old i mean old books and they're about you know whitening because people love to be really fair it was you know a sign of nobility and they had, I mean, it has like lead in it. It's some bad stuff that people were putting on their skin back then. So I'm always like, well, I wonder what she was using. I'm kind of reading a bit here. I'm just clicking around the interwebs. And I see, you know, a lot of it used herbs and, which is nice. Uh, they're not um filled with uh, lead and, you know, mercury and yeah, <laughs> whatever which else were, people were putting. Yeah, which they were using definitely a lot back then. They're just like, here, just drink uh, this. Cinnabar, I think. Drink this mercury, it'll it'll make you live longer. And it's like, oh, all right. And then their freaking hair and teeth fall out. And it's like, why am I? It's like, well, you What's just... it like the people drinking the radium water now, man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. I'm not. I'm good. I'll just I'll just drink my my tea from Maccas. <laughs> Take my so, chances. There was this other lady which I didn't really I'm gonna have to come back to this lady because this lady's a lot more interesting. So we have Christina of Sweden and the Porta Magica. So she's linked to like the Rosicrucians and this other thing that I'm, that I'm going to be covering soon, the Porta Magica, the alchemical door in Rome. So I'm going to save this one, but she was also in there. And so we have Katarina and I wanted to, to focus right towards the end. I wanted to focus on Mary Ann Atwood. I don't know if we've jumped around a little bit, but Mary Ann Atwood is really what some consider the... So you have Principe and Newman, which are like Mac daddies in alchemy, considered a suggestive inquiry into the Hermetic Arts, I believe is the name of the book, uh, to be one of the three books which started the influence of spiritual interpretation of alchemy in early modern Europe. So she had a more of a spiritual look on alchemy. Now, the interesting thing about Marianne Atwood, this was the 19th century, early, early 20th century, she was there's not a lot about her like if you look up her wikipedia but according to the to the story uh her father was again they were very i forget which church they were a part so the i think they were anglican anyway that could be getting that wrong but her and her father thomas south right apparently this guy was into mesmerism which we'll get into and he had this whole occult library and when they when she was young she would read the books with her dad right uh, her father thomas south and she grew up with this library she had read it and allegedly after the fact after she had died it was donated to the theosophical society so that, i mean that might tell you a lot of what was in the library but uh, they grew up and she was allegedly a regular woman feminine beautiful all these things and when they were growing up her and her father had agreed to write something write a book or whatever and so she picked right it was supposed to be on on alchemy and whatever she had no prior experience she wasn't a scholar she wasn't a mystic she wasn't like anybody who you would have thought like hey you know, this lady's like a Helena Blavatsky or like a Mary the Jewess or whatever it was like a super overly occult and mystical person. And neither was her father. But according to the lore, they both they were in separate parts of the house. 
they both had the same source material. Her father wrote a poem, which never was never published. And she ended up writing a book. Now, they had published a book called Early Magnetism and Its Higher Relation to Humanity in 1846. That was the first book that was published under a pseudonym. And they published that first. Okay. And then the second book, A Suggestive Inquiry into the Hermetic Mystery in 1850, that was the one that was written by Atwood at her father's request and in parallel with his own composition of a lengthy poem on the same subject. And so allegedly they, they both wrote these works side by side. You know, they didn't talk about it. They, they weren't going to talk about it until after it had already been finished. Allegedly, her father never read the works and they quickly went ahead and sh shot it over to the publisher for publishing. So they came up with the money. They hadn't even read it and they went ahead and published it. And then out of nowhere... They went ahead and canceled and bought all the books back. Only a few copies survived. And they were all, a lot of them were burned. They were disposed of and burned. So how they the, pulled a Kafka, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Or they, tried to. Yeah, yeah. They, they were like, listen, and there's a few different theories as to why that could have been. The first theory being that she had revealed too much in these works. Now, I skimmed through it and I was able to pull some a various quotes I was able to pull through it. Now again it's a it's like 500 pages and again it's very very deep. She goes in on alchemy at the beginning and then she starts going into some more esoteric stuff, but I'm going to bring this up here because so we have this young Mary Mary Ann South right before she married her husband. So she was Mary Ann South. Had no prior experience, wasn't a mystic of any sort. Her father had this library. He was into mesmerism and the occult, I guess, but also a regular guy. They were very religious. They would go to church, et cetera, et cetera. They both decided to write this book. Her, her father wrote a poem, was never published. After it was published, it sold over 100 copies, and for the time, that was a lot of copies, so it was selling really well. And then something changed where they wanted to get rid of all the copies that were out there, and, and allegedly they did. Some survived, the originals, and then it was republished again later on with some parts omitted, but some people have checked it out, and supposedly they, nothing was omitted. It was all kind of the same. The only thing that was changed in some of the parts was the translations, some of the translations were changed up, right? Grammatical errors, things of that nature were, were changed. And I don't know if you listened to Pink or not, but one of the few things on the Wikipedia page was like in pop culture, apparently, this is really, this is really strange. Pink in her music video, You and Your Hand is reading, right? And look how long this music video is, three minutes and 33 seconds long. <laughs> She was reading a suggestive inquiry into Hermetic Mystery, which is the book by Mary Ann Atwood, which is really weird. Is that a part in like a video of her like holding it, reading it? Is this part of the music video? So like she's holding a book and reading it in the music video? Yeah. This is okay. And you stopped it here. Yeah, I stopped it here. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And I, I, I would say uh, as far as that industry goes, because I have a couple friends who live in LA and work in that and. That's not even that's that's the that's the video director 
and they're into the directors who you know the artist has no say they're signed in these videos they're just performing with the direct the creative director is the one who's putting in these outfits says the choreographer says dance this way the creative director is doing it the creative directors in the hollywood and the music industry are very into the occult and they will always pop little things in um always 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 have little tidbits of you know things like this things that you wouldn't nobody would know people would be like what's well, some old book they wouldn't even take the time to read it you right know? that's what i'm saying so but, it's like that was really weird when i was weird. like pink out of all the people so okay let's say it was her directors whatever interesting book to have out there now so the conspiracy goes she had revealed secrets that were supposed to stay so in the book she breaks it down like here's an exoteric view of this and then the more esoteric view of that same thing and i haven't read the whole thing again i haven't read the whole thing so i'm still working my way through and i'm sure i'm gonna i'm looking through it here it's very long yeah it's very long and i'm i'm i'll i'll reference it later on as the show develops whatever so the the first theory is that she revealed too much that she revealed knowledge that was supposed to be esoteric and occulted in a, in some sort of society and the other you know there's another twist to that theory that the book was either because this story reminded me of hp lovecraft and how his his grandfather had this occult library and he was reading from that and taking inspiration through his dreams and through like some sort of medium kind of, you know, things are coming through the dream realm and it's like automatic writing. And mesmerism and spiritualism so was really gonna, big. Back I'm going to get to that yeah. because that, that's an interesting Huge. part of it. 1800s and early 1900s. My, my other thing, another uh, part of that theory was there was a group of people who actually wrote this book. So she was either so either it was a sort of channeled thing which could be possible because the 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 depth of the book is very it goes very deep and it's like if you had no prior experience in any of this stuff you're going to write a piece of work this deep either you had help it was channeled or it was a group of people that came together and wrote this and when they put it out they realized they had revealed too much and they had to buy it back because who's giving you the money to buy it back right if you're just a regular person so the second theory is that the church didn't like what they had put out and they didn't want their reputation tarnished so they just bought it back and and right it wasn't really that she had revealed anything because i mean you could get some sort of sensationalist view of like oh you know embellishment of a story like oh she revealed too much like we in this community it's always like oh if you if you know too much you get you know what happens to you, right? The Clintons will come knocking. I was going to say the men in black came after or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. The men in black came to get her. So it's like... But it could have been that too. That does make sense if he was, especially if he was Anglican, that, oh, you know. And yes. spiritualism was growing, but there was like 1840s up to the uh, Civil War times, this was what was considered the missionary generation. It was in it. Was she American or English? She was French, I believe. Or English. French, English. So Okay, English, yeah, and so I mean, yeah, Atwood, and I'm thinking, uh, and what was the what was the maiden name? Of her? She was, was like... born in in France, so she was born in Dieppe, France. I think that's how you say it. And she was oh, okay. Mary Anne South at first, and then she married, oh, yeah, which who she married, Albin Thomas Atwood in 1859, and then they moved to yeah. And New around York, that so. time, spiritualism was getting big, but there was also a huge missionary Baptist movement at the same time worldwide, and so there was a lot of so definitely getting into spiritualism and then bringing it out from 
people who are associated with a church could be like a death sentence to your reputation yes. that you're getting into cult things. But also, um, yeah, it could have just it could have been reputation on both sides, reputation with the more occult societies. And I'm not saying like, you know, the men in black or anything, just the occult societies of the day of the being like, no, these are things, black. yeah, these are the things that we're supposed to tell you other people in our little meetings and you know and which i ha always hated occultism um in that regard of, of when i say occultism i mean like hiding information and thinking that only initiated people it's a very uh hierarchical uh way of seeing truth which i do not enjoy yeah, yeah. um but i mean some people say it's for the best and i i don't think it matters because i think people that aren't going to understand it don't care i mean pe you could tell people aliens exist they're like i got bills to pay <laughs> Chick-fil-A costs twice as much as it used to. I don't care about aliens. Yeah, <laughs> That's like, what people are saying. We know aliens are real. We've been telling you guys for like the last forever. <laughs> yeah. And so that's the thing is that it, it, regardless of what it is, regardless of who wrote it, it's a very interesting work. And it has a lot of interesting things to say. And I kind of, you know, when you told me about her today, I was like, I didn't hear about her. I'm going to go in, in between my Excel and finance classes like, suck up as much as I can and I'm like okay I got one paragraph in I'm done <laughs> after so, an hour uh, apparently so again her philosophy and her things go super deep but what she was trying to get at was that these alchemists were actually it was not a, an actual practical thing but it was a more spiritual philosophical uh, work which there you can see it from both ways and she goes here uh, yet notwithstanding this and much more that they descant upon, if our modern Illuminati were but half as experienced in nature as they might be, had they one ray even of the antique intellect they deride, how different a scene would not that remote age present to them? Instead of um, imagining greedy daughter, da, dotards, I think that's how you say it, or daughters, brooding over their crucibles and uncouth uh, al alembics in vain hope of discovering the elixir and stone of philosophers, they would observe the philosophers themselves by a kindred light made visible on their own ground, experimenting indeed, but how and with what? Not with our gross elements, our mercury, sulfurs, and our lifeless salts, but in a far different nature, with stranger arts, and with laboratories too, how different from those now in use of common fittings, yet inferior either, but most complete, complete with vessels, fuel furnaces, and every material requisite well adapted together and compact in one. And, dude, she's going on about all, she's talking about all, all of the alchemists in history, all the ones that did transmutation. She's talking about John D. She's talking about Edward Kelly. She's she's breaking down all the history of alchemy from this very practical sort of view. And then she gets into like the more so this is the exoteric view. And that's how she put it in on the header. She put exoteric view. And this is the very beginning of the way. This is page 26. And she's getting deep into she's like just talking shit about everybody. She's <laughs> yeah, she's shitting on like these people. It's like, wait a minute, you think that the you think you're better than these other? alchemist right like you need to both see it from the same point of view you're both working right in conjunction with the same things essentially is what she's getting at it's like one is not better than the other 
And, and reading that makes me really believe that it was written by her and it was written by women because I will say or by a woman because women do have a great ability to bring together um, opposing viewpoints and find harmony within them and connections. Not all women, of course, but it is a feminine trait, I believe, this bring this bringing of harmoniousness to a situation. Um, and probably why now like 53% of corporate CEOs are women because women make really good CEOs actually they're really mm-hmm. good at bringing a corporate culture together so and, and I love how she's saying that she's it that really is my view of alchemy that most people in the mainstream see alchemy as dumb chemistry it's just people yes. trying to do chemistry and they didn't understand Spoiling chemistry yeah and and, but it's seen as like it was they were doing their best with what they had but you're really missing the point of alchemy if you don't look at the fact that it was a philosophy and a spiritual practice it it was very deeply spiritual if it was being taken seriously and when you go back even to like ancient egypt you have people mixing things oils and whatnot but they have whole incantations and magical Mm -hmm. spells around like making certain things and so that is a really interesting like point that she's kind of bringing that back in that period of the 1800s kind of going. And of course, this is around the time when the Rosetta Stone's being discovered. We're learning more about ancient Egypt again. We're getting back a lot of this lost knowledge. So people did start to take on that understanding that, wait, there's a lot more to this than we thought there was. There's a lot more to this than just well, she, big cool pyramid. She talks about the ancient Egyptians and these ancient mystery schools were actually these again trying to purify the soul and there were these spiritual they were conducting spiritual alchemy she goes so when i was reading when i was i got through like the first i think 100 pages and then i had to skip around because i'm like i'm not gonna be able to like get any quotes or anything i was only able to get a couple and then this is where i mentioned earlier about the light because she gets into and i think Let's say that she was she did reveal too much, and that she revealed secrets that were above her pay grade, and a group of people were upset. Whatever. I think it was near where she starts talking about. So she links mesmerism with the alchemy and the light aspect of it. And this part here is, but the best effects of mesmerism, if we connected with the ancient sacred art appears as trifles in comparison the supreme wisdom they investigated the self-knowledge and the perfection of life and immortality promised and said to be bestowed on those initiated in the higher mysteries so she's talking about the Eleusinian mysteries and how they were actually again doing this sort of spiritual alchemy in these schools she talks about pythagoras she talks about the interpretation of the books of genesis as being like this sort of alchemical text which is super interesting to me she's going again very hard in the paint for somebody who had no prior experience to any of this stuff. And when she links the mesmerism stuff, that, that that's where it gets interesting because mesmerism, again, it's like this sort of life force. And she starts to compare the Platonists who essentially brought forth theurgy and the theurgical arts, right, of asking for help from up above so a divine intervention of these forces from up above in to intervene with our material world that's what 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 theurgy is essentially right and that's what christians are there you're praying for 
an intervention of God or whatever angel, whatever force above to come and help you in this world. And mesmerism is kind of sort of like that. It's like a spirit in all things, like this life force that animates all things. So she's kind of, she's on shaky ground in my opinion. And that idea paired with the early magnetism, I think magnetism is also one of these occult secrets and one of these things. And the reason I say that is because I did this, an episode on this book called a world, a, a voyage to the world of Cartesius. And it's a book from 1694. And it's a book about, it's a story, quote unquote, a fictional story about Descartes and how he had to figure it out, how to project his consciousness into outer space, et cetera, et cetera. But in this book, they're talking about the, the protagonist, the main guy in the story is being taken through these other dimensions and outer space and other planets and other realms. And this character, Descartes, is forming and unforming galaxies in front of him and making entire dimensions in front of him alchemically and showing him all these secrets, everything, like this crazy mind-blowing story. And it's breaking down like these physics and, and the science and all this stuff. And there's one thing that stood out to me in that entire, well, two things really. But another thing aside from that first thing that stood out to me in that story, and it was that the character that's showing him all this craziness, like how to create a galaxy and how to create a universe and how to create a reality here. He tells him one thing. He goes, there's one thing I can't reveal to you. And that's the secrets of magnetism. Because if I was to reveal the secrets of magnetism to you, it would quite literally drive you insane. You would lose your entire mind and you would dissolve out of reality. Essentially, if I was to reveal to you the secrets of magnetism. So, that's why when I first stumbled across this lady who was like, not a nobody, but a person who wouldn't seem like she was well-versed in these occult arts, her first book was about magnets. Again, I only skimmed through. I didn't read the whole thing. It's only 146 pages, I think, the, the first book. And then paired with this one, and then she's weaving mesmerism in with it, which is, again, kind of magnetic, right? This force that animates reality animals all these different things i think she was hitting the nail on the head and i think yeah, i, I mean, got some goosebumps there when you was talking about that story i was like woo that's that's pretty interesting because it is yeah. i mean there is a lot to it and definitely and i'm not uh you know versed in um a lot of scientific hardware but magnets it's so like superconductors and things like that are very important and well one thing Yiska, of- i've read grimoires from from the ninth century that speak about the magnet being the preferred stone of the magician so what's what does cern have a large array of magnet what are they trying they're trying to open up portals to other dimensions well you're linking magnets with occultism together you know and says it in this book like to create a homunculus you need a magnet so is that to attract like a soul like what's going on i mean there's magnets and a lot of things that we use is there magnets in our phones i think there's pretty sure there's magnets oh on yeah our phone, but... there's magnets and i have this like remarkable tablet it's got like a magnet oh i have a remarkable like too we're remarkable buddies <laughs> me too yeah i got the typing one it's like 
so bougie, but I bought like the whole, I spent all the money on it. I was like, I need everything. I'm not, I'm an all in person. If I'm going to get it, I just want the whole package. But I was, it's funny that you said that because, you know, CERN's obvious, it's like a real thing. There's this whole um, internet phenomena thing. It's an internet pop culture thing called the back rooms. Yes. (laughs) It's like, you need to do a, a damn episode on the back. I love lore. I love video games. Like, I still play Morrowind to this day. Um, just love, like, any kind of lore and storytelling. And in the back rooms, kind of, you know, he, you know he got it from CERN and ideas like that because the thing that kind of opens up into this otherworldly like strange like i don't know almost like machine learning generate like it's like something like mid-journey tries to create the universe and it turns out horribly wrong um it's called the low proximity magnetic distortion system is what they call it in the in the lore so it's like magnets and we kind of think of it as like it's kind of like the sci-fi, like when they use quantum, like what well, do we don't explain how this mm-hmm. would work in our stories, quantum, but they are used in a lot of hardware and in anything like that. CERN, a, a lot of, again, I'm not an engineer, but as I know, gold and magnets are very important in our, in our technological infrastructure and how we use them. And like a superconducting and like, you know, yes cooling systems and things that are really important for huge databases and again i'm not an not an engineer (laughs) i can't speak on it that well but um i do know that they're important and i do know there's a lot to them and when you get into spiritually you know of course you have like your hippie kind of like wear this magnet thing on your arm to help your arthritis i use it on my knees sometimes i don't know if it works or not but if i believe it does i Maybe I can make it work. Well, but um, so Mary Ann talked about how belief was very important, and like belief was at the really at the core of any of this stuff. If if you believe it, therefore it's true. So, and that's that's the thing about the holographic universe, the projection. Like this is all a projection, Mm -hmm. and it's a product of mind. If you believe in the the product, you know, mind kind of being this essence that 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 all things have some kind of level of consciousness. We know the placebo effect exists. We know it does. It's documented that people can believe they're taking chemotherapy drugs and their cancer gets cured. And it's just funny to me. They're like, well, it didn't do any better than placebo, but the placebo worked. And I'm like, why is anybody studying that? The fact that somebody could will away their cancer if they believed enough. That's interesting. That's what we should be studying, not the drug, Like, cause, but it doesn't make any money. Um not saying that I believe you could do that per se. I don't know. I, I think it would take a lot of belief to heal yourself with belief. Um, and a lot of people try to do it. And they, you know, sadly pass away. Um, and, it, you know, because they maybe didn't get the help. they needed I believe it's not, possible in certain I think I think it's hard. It's difficult. Yeah. I think it's difficult. I think anything's possible. But to get past what you physically see it's what is that movie um i don't watch a lot of movies the matrix and he bends the spoon or whatever right like i, I i've never even seen the whole thing I've just there seen is YouTube. no spoon <laughs> that's the thing right well there is a spoon but it's more it's the reality of it is more like there is a pen but it's it's just a projection of atoms yeah and it, funny that you're talking about descartes because cartesian plane and i was like he must have like got off the cartesian plane man also that story sounds a lot like the story in the book of enoch where Enoch is taken mm-hmm. and sees like the, the realm and the sees watchers, galaxies yeah. and shit like that. Yep. And then what yeah. happens to him at the end of it? He turns into Metatron. So I think that's he, what they lifted up. He's like, he, he, you know, he just like, he ascends like off the Cartesian plane, off the, 
the 3D. He goes <laughs> into the 5D. I don't know. That's my know would say. They used to live in Arizona. He went into the 5D realm, man. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what they're trying to occult from us, like these hidden teachings that are occulted in these stories. And yeah. at the end of it all, after after Enoch is watching, is being taught by the Watchers, and the Watchers are the ones who are watching the divine alchemists that work transmute and create reality after he learns those secrets he becomes the lesser yahweh the metatron right the the little yahweh and sits at the you know at the throne at the bottom so it's like that's the story of alchemy essentially where you can become you dissolve out of this dimension and you step outside of it in order to be able to control it from the outside of space and time so again just i think that and I think that's why it was taken out of the canon too. I mean, that, that, and I'm talking about three Enoch at the end where he becomes this this angel. But even the first of Enoch is, uh, you know, supposedly uh, non-canon, right? To to at least my canon in Ethiopia, it is is canon. But I think that's why it's occulted because it's too weird, it's too woo woo, it's too spectacular, and they don't want you to be like, hey, wait, too a crazy. Minute. Yeah, it's too crazy. When you're talking about like. It's, I started laughing because I was just thinking about that. I don't know why. I started thinking about that movie, Altered States, where he like turns into a monkey. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, into a monkey or something like that, like an ape. <laughs> <laughs> he turns into a monkey, and then he turns into like an embryo, and then he turns into like a primordial soup, which is just the yeah, that that idea that life came from some... It's ridiculous, but it, it was very strange, and it kind of reminded me of that idea. But I mean, really, at the end of it, though, what's so interesting is that a lot of these... When you get... Okay, the male alchemist, you get a lot of experiments, you get a lot of awesome things going throughout history. And there was one woman that I did write down that we didn't talk about, but I thought she was really interesting, was a woman named, well, there are two. Okay, so there was Marie de Gournay. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, because I don't do, I don't know. She's. I think she's French. She wrote a book called The Equality of Men and Women and a book called The Lady's Grievance. And she was really big writing about, like, women don't have enough education she wanted women to be educated and and it's kind of like almost virginia wolf writing later saying that what women need is a room of their own and a paycheck so that they can do things that men do they don't have their own space to write in and they don't have a paycheck so they can't have any time to write they're too busy keeping the house or going out and working you know because this whole idea that women just stayed at home and swept floors and took care of babies is hilarious the majority of women were out working to survive and their children were also working and then the women that were of means at least in the victorian era were not spending time with their children it was seen as unheard of that you you had a nanny and she spent time with your children and you sat around and you entertained and you did needlework and you weren't to speak to your children really at all and you would pamper them too much so that, this whole idea that like there's some traditional woman is okay like it's, it's just really funny to me but she had an interest in alchemy Again, this is the 15 to 1600s, which was seen as not good for women. Women are too passionate and they'll get too into it or whatever. Then you have a woman named, um, and I went a little bit further here, the 1600s. Sorry, no. Yeah, 1600s. Marie Merdrock. And I don't, I cannot pronounce French again, so sorry, French names. Uh, she was a chemist and an alchemist. She wrote a book called Easy Chemistry for Women. And it was the first real work of chemistry, what we know today as chemistry, the actual science of chemistry. Um, it's assumed by most scholars to be the first work on chemistry slash alchemy by a woman since the third century AD. 
not a recipe book, but an actual scientific manuscript of this is what I did. These are the experiments I did. This is how I did it. And she had the belief um, in the quotation that like minds have no sex. And she was self-taught. Um, her book contains a table of weights and 106 alchemical symbols. And the interesting thing is that she had access to special high temperature furnace that required permission from the king to use. Mm-hmm. So she was seen as like, I mean, the king had to give you permission to use this furnace. There's a lot of argument. Is her book alchemy? Is it chemistry? People say it's a little bit of both. It's kind of proto-chemistry. But um, and she was the first, one of the first writers of her time, male or female, to actually invite collaboration and scrutiny of her work. So peer review, to say, come look at it. So the men, she was the first woman to do really what the men had been doing for a long time. Um, what the women were doing and wasn't being recorded because obviously they, they may have been doing it. They were either witches or just in their spare time if they had the money, but or they were bitches. too busy with all the other things. <laughs> <Witches>. <laughs> they were so busy with all the other things. If you're a lady of the estate, you, you what time do you have? It's a big job to take care of an estate and to manage all these servants and whatnot. Really was a full time job for these women. Um, and of course, like having children, like what every year, you know, like popping out twelve babies that don't survive past the age of three or five. Um, what women it seems were doing is more of what Atwood was doing, which is the spiritual understanding of alchemy, the spiritual understanding of the deeper art underneath it. While the, of course, the experimentation is important. Chemistry itself is important. I study chemistry. My daughter wants to be a chemist. Like she watches three hour long YouTube videos. Like I find them (laughs) insanely boring of people doing not just like, oh, you know, baking soda, but actual chemistry videos. She watches them. She's like nine. I'm like, you might blow my mind. She blows my mind. And it, what, that, that exists and that has a place and experimentation has a place. It brings us a lot of great things. But what is missing out of the modern picture is the spiritual understanding of reality. And that's what I feel the women brought. And they brought in that understanding of the spiritual mystery behind it. So at was really, I feel like this is kind of her magnum opus. And I don't know if she wrote anything about women in general, but you she can only definitely wrote see that, and that's it. There was nothing else. She didn't yeah. write anything else. And you, you can see in what she wrote is like it's a very feminine point of view. So it'd be strange to me if I think she did write it because again, she might not have had exper- experience, but she had a library full of books, and yeah. you know, knowledge is key. So she had all this time to read. She was educated enough to read, and she was able to write this. And it, I think, it attests to the fact that. While experimentation is important, what's more important is the mindset you approach it with. Because the problem in experimentation is when people go into an experiment wanting to prove their idea right instead of being open to the results Mm -hmm. of the experiment. So if you can approach things in this work in alchemy or chemistry or anything you do with a mindset of really wanting to understand it, really wanting to understand it at a deep fundamental level. And that has to get spiritual at some point because once you get materialism, it's just, I think it was Neil deGrasse Tyson who said scientists don't ask uh, why, they ask how. And I was like, that's a really cheap, sad view of science because yeah. <laughs> I think a true scientist wants to know why as well. Mm-hmm. And all of the ancient scientists were also philosophers. And that's probably why science today is garbage because they're not trained in philosophy uh, is that if you could understand 
it's going into the why, but being open to the answer. I think that's a beautiful thing that I see more of and that we need more of in today for anything, any subject. Yeah, and I, and I think that's, that's a, a beautiful spot to end it on. I think what we should do is I think we should pick apart more of this book, the, the, I forgot the name of it already, Marianne Atwood's book, the, Mary, let me find the, a suggestive inquiry in the Hermetic Mysteries. And we should read more. I've already read the, I read, I read chapter one and then I jumped around to some other parts, but we should read some of it and then compile some information and do an episode on that. Cause I think, I think there's we a should, lot. Give me three months, <laughs> give me three months after exams. And I finish. you know, once I get this Excel stuff down, yeah. but uh, no, we should, I, I, I kind of perused it and I'm like, I'm going to sit down and read this this weekend for sure. Cause oh, it's heavy. I'm really interested. It, it, it's it's great, really though. heavy. It's, it's really heavy. But I think, like I said, once you get a chance, read it and then we'll, we'll reconvene and, and break it down for the people that want to know what's in the book. Cause it's very interesting, but yeah, Jessica, this was fun. I enjoyed talking about women in alchemy and i'm sure on the next episode maybe we can talk about Tycho brahi's sister and some other alchemists that we didn't talk about and i'll bring up the one with the porta alchemica the alchemical door in rome which i didn't know what there was a woman involved but yeah that's that's there's uh, always a woman involved <laughs> you just don't hear about her that's the thing i mean not always but you just, you just don't hear about her but i've enjoyed this very much and i really appreciate you having me on to talk about this because again it, it's not just the historical honor it's not just oh there were women alchemists oh yeah. women there were women it's it's it, it really is an important present day conversation to have it, it's a good way in a manageable central like centricized non you know i don't want to say non-binary i was going to go that way but <laughs> a, a non a non-extremist way to talk about the fact that women do have a place in these things yes. and we're not going too far into either camp that you no. kind of see the pol polarization that's what i was going for it's not as polarized i want to have a even talk about it but we do have to accept that it wasn't always good <laughs> No, absolutely. Yeah. We can. I'll bring up my notes of the the black mass and all that stuff on the next one that we do. But you want to plug your stuff for the people where they can find you if they're interested. Come follow me on Instagram. If you look up my name, you'll find me. Uh, y i s y v o n n e is my Instagram. Come have a conversation with me if you're interested in stuff. Um, I usually reply, and I love talking to people. Uh, I I talk to people all the time. I have random people like. Instagram message me, call me up on my Instagram. <laughs> I end up talking to people for like three hours. So if anybody's interested in these things, uh, anything, you know, especially again about, I don't say feminism, but women in history and that kind of place of that spiritually, definitely give me a, give me a hit up. And uh, things are coming once things calm down on my front in terms of like studies. So yeah. there'll be blog posts and whatnot and one day videos awesome. <laughs> when I have the time. I'll post the link so in the description. As always, everyone, make sure to follow the show on social media at the Juan on Juan podcast, tjojp.com. For those that want more of the show, patreon.com slash the Juan on Juan podcast. Appreciate everyone for being here with us today. And as always, catch you on the next one. Bye bye now. Mm -hmm.